and welcome back to the How to Be Wise podcast, Season 3. This is Episode 8. Today's episode dives into how education is not meant for everyone and the complexities of the technology world and coding industry. I hope you all enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the How to Be Wise podcast. Today, we have another special guest, and we'll start right off, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hey, everyone. My name is Shereen Anise. I'm currently the Chief Technology Officer over at Representation Counts. Um, That's representationcounts.com. I've basically stumbled in upon WISE by just following their Instagram and happy to connect with Claudia here today. Um, So I guess a little bit about myself. Um, I've had quite the interesting journey, if you will, in, in education and both in entrepreneurship. Um, I started off school at University of Western Ontario, where I studied BMOS and didn't really feel like I fit into the culture or the program, Um, kind of uh, transferred out from there over to Harvard. Um, Over there, they have a non-traditional program called the Extension School, and I studied economics, math, and finance there. Um, What took me to Harvard at the time was really MIT and being within close proximity to that school um, because of the revolution of Bitcoin starting back in 2009, but I had transferred out by 2012. Um, And so I was just an advocate in the space very early on and thought that the community there was driving a lot of change and so went there. Um, Don't have a degree to this day have kind of dropped out multiple times. I actually even went to Queen's University, uh, did psychology with a focus in cognitive psych, um, had like just like a hard time kind of fitting in with the school structure because I feel like a lot of things are not taught like to speed with where society is heading. Um, So prior to Representation Counts, I was the founder and CEO of Kid Coders City. Uh, That was kind of my baby for six years. Um, Basically there we taught kids um, and teens between the ages of four and 18, uh, creative technology entrepreneurship. And um, in the back end we were building product uh, for facial recognition technology, emotional recognition technology and biometric technology related to the education space. Um, I guess we'll go further into detail about that as I converse here with Claudia. No, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. It's so exciting to have you. And um, from what I've heard so far, it seems like you have so many interesting stories to tell us. So I'm kind of just wondering, in general, what did you find in the school program or in the university style of learning? What did you find that you kind of disliked? You disliked the structure of it or what exactly was it? So what I disliked, and in education, this is a very common problem. If you have conversations Mm -hmm. with people at a very intimate level, everybody will say what's kind of tiring over time is that there's this one person anchored into the education system, your professor, that kind of says what's right or wrong. And then there's a grading system that's not always accurate, right? Like your potential is never judged. It's always your current space um, or or your current uh, framework that you're following in school for a subject that you're kind of judged against and when it comes to STEM education that's not exactly the best framework or criteria to use because creativity is so infinite it's really difficult for any one person to be the judge or any one TA to be the judge of kind of where you're capable of going with your skills when it comes to creativity and technology when when you marry the two so for me where I had a lot of problems was first that was the structure and framework and criteria in which you were judged 
Um, and being a woman of color, I'm going to play the race card here. I think that, you know, there's so many of our stories that just go untouched by education systems and um, unrealized, like our potential is very untapped. And for me, it was very difficult to go through a system that is really dated back to colonization um, to really stand up for myself and to allow my creativity to kind of flourish. So I really had um, very headstrong battles with this throughout my my entire experience. And I think that's why to this day, I continue to not finish a degree because, you know, like for me, it's really difficult to kind of almost sell myself <laughs> to a system that will never, in my opinion, respect where I'm meant to go. And, you know, I see this all the time with other people and there's quite a few people. So I think that a new revolution is coming when it comes to schooling and that revolution has been driven through STEM education and technology, as we've seen with, with, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's, Bill Gates, and, and far more people. No, I completely agree. I find that the education, education system, specifically university, all of your grades are based off of a TA that has no idea who you are. They're grading probably 50 papers or 50 exams. It's a bit different, obviously, when you're grading a test and it's purely testing your knowledge on on that content but for papers and more creative styles and things that uh, you were pursuing in the technology realm it's so hard to grade that off of a structured based rubric and just say well what she did here was wrong but it also shows so many other things but I, I'm marking it wrong because it doesn't go with the rubric so it's very complicated and it definitely throws a lot of people under the bus and it, it it's definitely up for a change i completely agree yes exactly and it's a system of precedence right it's not a system of potential at all no definitely it's simply just a grade that you get and and the professors and the tas they have no idea who you are um i find that a lot of the time not a lot of time is taken to kind of actively show you what you need to do and to improve or to even like um congratulate or celebrate the people that kind of went outside of the box like outside the rubric and communicate their work as something positive and that has like great potential it's simply what's right or wrong based on a very old old grading system yep agreed um another interesting thing that i found throughout education is a lot of egos are at play too right so as humans subjectively it's very hard to kind of go through that so if somebody's excelling in one area and the professor or the ta or somebody in that system feels like oh you know what either i can't keep up with it or i don't understand it because they lack certain experiences of diverse um, mindsets or neurodiversity right um you're you're very much scapegoated or you're 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 outside of a herd of sheep, you could say in which like you're completely an outlier and disrespected for it and not not nurtured for what your creativity can bring and so not everybody has the direction of entrepreneurship or you know the resilience or even the confidence to be like okay you know what school is not the right predicator for my success and so therefore i should go out of the normal structure and take the risk and um, have the appetite to kind of create a new system or create something that has meaningful impact in society a lot of people can't stomach that that risk right so we are losing people they are falling through the cracks and oftentimes those people could have very significant solutions to our great big world problems, maybe something like climate change, right? Like, and if we're not nurturing those minds, we're, we're losing solutions to problems that we're facing. No, I completely agree. That is such an amazing point that I feel like it is such um, a th process or something that you have to do that's ingrained into our minds all throughout our um, primary education. You know, it's all... Everyone needs to get into 
university, everyone needs to do this, but all the greatest minds out there, which you've seen, and it's, it's been shown by them that taking that a stereotypical path is definitely not where the best minds are highlighted. And, and you're a great example of that as well. So it's great to see. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think that, you know, like for especially wise, all the work that you guys are doing here at Queens, it's just so important for anybody out there who might be listening to my very small voice is that, you know, there is such a big world. I know a lot of people know this. I mean, we've had the sexy stories of social network and all these cool things, but really, truly like look at school is just kind of like stepping stones and, and look at what you can do outside of that. Be defiant, be rebellious. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't hurt people, obviously, but like along the way, Think of how you can apply the ABCs truly that you learn in university. I know it's hard to believe that they're just ABCs, but you can really create your sentences, paragraphs, if you will, for the sake of an analogy. Um, how can you apply these things in your code? How can you apply these things in your engineering? And, you know, maybe create something cooler than a bridge, you know, like create something cooler than just like basic currency systems or dollar systems. I mean, Bitcoin's an example of that, an alternative fiat currency, like really think outside the box, nothing's crazy. School and university, if anything, if I can credit it for something during your early years is a time for you to experiment and really apply whatever you're learning in school to, to kick it out of the ballpark in a very different and creative way. No, I completely agree. And I find that um, a lot of the people that I have talked to uh, their university education, majority of what it's taught them is kind of just how to get through life, kind of learning kind of those very important first life lessons and teaching yourself like dedication, motivation. But if those are some things, those are qualities that you already have and you already embody and you're ready to go out into the world, it definitely is kind of just a stepping stone to kind of um, put in between you coming out of high school and you going into the real world. And most people take that path, but a lot of people are, are much more than ready to enter the world right away. And uh, you've shown that to us. I kind of want to get into um, how you got into Bitcoin and and kind of how that sparked your interest in the technology realm. Yeah, so for me, um, like, so for me, it's like pretty, I guess, like, I grew up very poor, to put it bluntly. Um, I know that in Canada, the definition of poor is very different than what you see in third world countries. But I think a lot of people don't realize what poverty looks like in Canada. So I'll just break it down a little bit, uh, a little bit for whoever's listening. So in Canada, like the way how I faced it was, you know, my parents were first generation immigrants. Um, my dad struggled with mental health. Um, after 9-11, he was supposed to cross the border to kind of take up a job managing a hospital, but they detained him for, I think, a week or two. And that really, really impacted him and our family because they sold everything thinking, you know, we're going to go to America. This was like probably a week after 9-11. Didn't happen. He was interrogated. We didn't know where he was. And after that, he completely changed and went a different direction. So for us, our family, you know, credit score was ruined. Um, cash flow was gone everything that we knew, our sense of identity in a community, culturally we were impacted. So we didn't really go back to the same community. We moved elsewhere. Um, it really kind of impacted us in very negative ways. And so the traditional financial systems wouldn't give loans or like help out in any way. So for me, when I was in high school, I graduated a year early and I remember I was just really mad at like the system and like was emotionally definitely going through something, maybe some of my own mental health stuff through anxiety, depression, I don't know. Um, and so I was like sitting at Tim Hortons and um, here in Barrie, Ontario, I was attending a school here and um, like I was just so mad. I had just bought my first Acer laptop working at McDonald's for the year and um, I was so excited and I'm like, okay, I'm going to just, you know, type on here because my writing sucks. And I was curious about the dark and deep web 
And kind of at that time, Bitcoin started coming out, I think it was in January of 2009. And I was reading about it. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Because at the bank, I kind of get treated very poorly, because like, I have no credit, I have nothing. I don't have parents to piggyback off of nothing like that, right? No savings really outside of what I just spent on this laptop. So I followed Bitcoin then it made a lot of sense to me because of course I was of the target demographic that it was trying to alleviate um, a lot of the power struggles from and decentralized power into. So for me, it made a lot of sense that, you know, this currency is going to work. Um, a year later, it started popping up on like Kijiji. Like you could go around on USB sticks and purchase at four cents mm -hmm. of Bitcoin. Um, certain lines of codes in, in various infrastructures and systems that these people had created and locked into into a USB drive. So for me, I'm like, okay, this is really cool because as you probably know, around that same time, banks were rolling out e-transfers. So this was like the revolution at its finest. And so TD Bank at that time had started out e-transfers. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. Like this is going somewhere. This makes sense. So for me, I followed it for a very long time. And like, anytime I go into a bank, like my FU to them would be like, yeah, well, you know what? Like the dollar doesn't really matter anyways. Like Bitcoin is coming. Like that would be like my way of telling them off. Um, and sure enough, today in 2021, we've seen the highest rise of Bitcoin hit almost, I think it was 60,000 US dollars two weeks ago or a week ago. And so financially, like it's a completely new monetary system. And that was also my introduction into technology, um, kind of learning how to create certain systems to store your Bitcoin or, you know, I call it the survival or justice currency. So that was my introduction, long story short, into uh, Bitcoin. Um, and I anticipate to stay in this space. Now I'm in blockchain more so. Um, but But yeah, that's been my history there. No, that's so interesting to hear about because I was pretty I was pretty young at the time that Bitcoin kind of started revolving around and I had no idea what it was and never really understood what it was. I, I never conducted my own research into it. But as you've seen, like the world change and everyone's starting to get involved with it, there's definitely going to be a revolution coming and it's just it, it is a slow process, but it's going to get there. And 2021, who knows what's going to happen after 2020, you know, a lot of things are going to keep changing and Bitcoin is going to keep rising. And so it's so interesting to see how modernized and revolutionary the world has become and how like Bitcoin is kind of like this little leader in it. Yeah, no, super cool. Can't wait to see what it'll look like next year. It'll be pretty crazy. <laughs> mm -hmm, me too. So going back to Harvard and what uh, you went through there, kind of what was your next step from Cambridge? Yeah, so after that, um, I kind of just like traveled the world, um, went and traveled all over Asia and, and China and everything. And then mm -hmm. when I came back, um, I was like, okay, like, um, basically for me, as I was going around and traveling and connecting with new people, I realized like business cards are very annoying. And so I started creating an app called Networks at the time that would kind of streamline the approach of networking with business cards and make it all super digital back then, you know, like on a Samsung, you could do RFID technology, tap a phone, I think it still exists today. And like you could seamlessly transition your business card to the next peer. So I created this app and had applied to TechCrunch and kind of got accepted there um, back in 2015. So that took me out to New York. And while I was in New York, um, I also got accepted into something called the Founder House. It was a co-living space for tech founders to kind of come together and, you know, create something in the technology space. So um, after that, I kind of sold it, I think, for $500 um, and just was like, OK, you know what, like 500 US dollars is a lot at the time at trading at like $1.40 for US dollar to Canadian. I was like, OK, this makes sense. Let's just move on to the next. And that's where I had created Kid Coder City. 
because as I was creating networks, um, I really realized that, you know, like none of the technical skills that I would have needed or was looking for was ever taught in school. So why not have this as like a tutoring service, um, like offer it to people at a very young age so that they're never in the position that I'm in. Um, because it's hard, like as a woman in technology and a woman of color, you do either get taken advantage of or misguided a lot. So for me, that was like my protective mechanism is like, you know, education and knowledge is power. So I thought, let's take it to younger kids. And so Kid Coder City was born in August 2015. And so right after I had created it, um, I actually moved back to Canada. Um, I thought I would go back to school, but instead came back to Canada, started it here, got into Mars Discovery District and like all of these other cool programs um, and had kind of just like on the back end thought, you know, like we like as humans are subjectively so flawed on determining people's potential and their progress and what people can actually do. So why not create like the facial recognition technology, biometric analysis and all these other um, products that I could then scale out and either exit or I could commercialize in some way or monetize in some way. Mm -hmm. So I started Kick Coder City and um, like it was going pretty well. And then I had like, I was one of the highest paid in the industry. Um, things were pretty good. And then there was just a bit of a defamation lawsuit. Um, so in that lawsuit, basically, I guess um, there was an attempt to kind of take over market ship by a competitor. Um, so I had to sue them. There were just a lot of things that were being said online that were not true. Um, ended up winning the lawsuit, but obviously faced a lot of, you know, like depression and everything through it all. Um, and so I had to end up selling the company uh, for parts back in 2019. March of 2019 is when I had sold it um, and the lawsuit went on from 2017 to 2019 and so as I had sold it I was kind of just like working on other stuff and kind of working on my life really trying to get out of what had just happened because I saw a lot of things behind closed doors that people mm -hmm. just don't really talk about and you know the challenges as an entrepreneur especially when you're in, in your mid to early 20s it's a lot to kind of put on your plate and to kind of juggle so for me it was um whiplash but also a massive learning curve in which i'm very grateful for today i didn't see that in hindsight but now it's like a lot of entrepreneurs especially in the tech space um and for people who are studying stem they don't realize the legalities of things and the legal challenges that can arise and how to really take them on because usually, I mean, it's something so out of reach and access because lawyers are so expensive. And we mm -hmm. just think like early on, you don't know how to protect yourself, whether it's legally or, you know, um, for trade secrets or intellectual property, anything like that. You don't really have that knowledge. Nobody really teaches it to you. So, um, yeah, like after that, I kind of um, sold it for parts and then started something else called Representation Counts. Um, and that's just in the diversity, inclusion, and equality space. And so we offer consulting and also activist work um, and digital digital tools for that um, to help alleviate and eradicate racism. No, that's amazing to hear that. Most of it's so troublesome in order to go through that process and kind of see this company that you had built up from the ground and kind of see it like slowly get torn away from you. That must have been heartbreaking to mm -hmm. see kind of your hard work um, and everything that it went through, I feel like, again, like going back to like university and a lot of things that you don't get taught, a lot of people when they do enter the world and experience these things that you do, you know, it really um, like hurts to the core. It takes down a, a lot of people's companies and intervenes in a lot of different ways. And you're not really taught how to deal with that or the legalities that come behind it. So, yeah, for sure. 
So what ended up happening with Kid Coders? Um, so the good news is today, um, actually last week, I just bought it back. Um, wow. It, yeah. So that was like, honestly, it just because it, it feels like your baby, like it was the best feeling ever. Um, it does look a lot different than what it did. Um, also, the pandemic has impacted that. And also during my time down or away from Kid Coders, like basically I had a lot of different opportunities and inventions, you could say, that I came up with. So now it looks very different and we're moving everything to the U.S., um, back to the U.S. rather. So that's where Kid Coders is today. Um, it's going to have something that is hardware and software driven coming soon to locations. So there's a hybrid model. Um, it's still going to be in the education space, um, but but definitely super happy to have it back. Um, happy to have my baby back and um, mm. excited to see where it'll grow. No, that's so exciting, especially when you put uh, so many years into that and kind of putting everything that you know. I also find it so fascinating that um, from what you're saying, I'm interpreting that you've kind of taught yourself all these different things, all these different coding programs. That is absolutely amazing. I am... I struggle with teaching myself things and I can't even imagine learning how to code all by myself just with doing your own research. That's phenomenal. Yeah, no, I think it's the best way to learn. But also, like, if you're in school, it's really hard to do all that. For, for me, my experience has been school or that. So I chose that. And if you're choosing school, it's going to be difficult to manage because it's a full-time job either way. <laughs> what type of um, kind of struggles did you experience when you were self-teaching yourself this? I think you're very frustrated, right? Like, for me, mm -hmm. I was um, at times very frustrated and anxious because there's this goal that you see in your mind and this vision and dreams are easy, right? Like they're very easy to come up with and they're very easy to kind of let go of. So for me, it was like, okay, why does it seem so easy? And like, it doesn't help that media was really glorifying and glamorizing the startup and technology space. So I was always frustrated trying to get like either mentors, which by the way, as a woman of color has been extremely hard. I will comment on that. Like I learned to be my own mentor and um, a lot of people fall into this, this category of having to mentor themselves and like be their own best friend, if you will, like to look yourself in the mirror every morning and be like, you know what, it's okay. Like you're probably not going to get everything um, accomplished or, or you're not going to understand everything right off the bat in even a week or two weeks or three weeks. Like, I mean, that's one thing school, I guess there's a positive is that you can be patient with yourself in terms of a learning curve and know that maybe within a year. And, and sure enough, like, you know, I started the company back in 2016 or 2015. It's now 2021. I mean, five years has done an insane amount. And now I'm learning concepts I didn't know back then. So patience has definitely been the perseverance through this all and obviously technology is always changing the space is always changing information the way it's also disseminated to public knowledge and open source resources they're always changing so um, the way things are being explained and the good news is that when you learn on your own versus a traditional system um, you can go to a variety of different platforms to figure out how you're going to be able to absorb that information and then apply it so it's not just stuck to one way of learning Oh, definitely. That's such an important factor to note that I find in university right now for myself. There's kind of only that one outlet that you can go to. It's your prof or your textbook and your lecture notes. And it all comes from the same idea. And it's quite difficult to find information that will address your questions out there because it's so fine. It's so hard to condense it down to one thing. And but you have to look out there and find the things um, that explain it the best for you in order for you to understand it and learn it. Yep, for sure. Agreed. 
So what were some of the things that you noticed or the things that you experienced as a woman of color within the judicial system and how and everything that happened with the lawsuit? Yeah, so for me, um, when I was going through the lawsuit, like, I just felt like as a woman of color, you know, it's just harder to access the, the, the resources that are going to get you success, even though my lawsuit was successful and we did win. Um, I just felt like you don't necessarily have the same table talk in your formative years to kind of go through something like this. So, you know, like in, in a judicial system, like it's a very complicated thing. It's not that accessible for everybody to interpret and kind of apply on their own. You do need legal representation in order to succeed for something as sensitive as your reputation when someone is assassinating your character publicly. So for me, I found the judicial system very inaccessible in, in the sense of like financially. Um, not everybody, you know, has the privilege of growing up with parents who have been entrepreneurs for a long time and who have access to legal resources or mm -hmm. to parents who are um, lawyers or siblings who are lawyers, right? And so, I mean, this is a very common thing that a lot of people know, but like having gone through it myself, like I, it was very, very apparent that um, there are certain classes that have better access to legal jargon and legal verbiage than people who are just the ordinary people. So to me, it was very much uh, apparent that, you know, like if you weren't somebody who grew up in that system of education or, or knowledge, you really were going to be either paying a lot and, and running dry, or you were just going to fail and lose um, something in the, in the process. So for me, I, I had noticed that it, the, the judicial system in Canada really is very tough to kind of maneuver and navigate um, for those specific reasons. So was it the kind of the lawsuit in your experience with everything that happened with kid coders? Is that kind of what uh, uh, shined the light to creating representation counts? It definitely was a part of it. You know, like throughout my life, I've had the the very good fortune of experience a lot of experiencing a lot of things. Um, and, you know, like, Right now, we only have a limited period of time, but like everything I've experienced just kind of led up to representation counts. And what I mean by that is, you know, like every single um, arena of um, industry that I had decided to go into, whether it be education, technology, um, or even consulting in politics, I always noticed underrepresentation of women. And for me to have experienced that firsthand, whether it be, you know, like in the space of entrepreneurship in Canada specifically, um, I noticed that, you know, the feminist movement did not give me any advantages. It did not help me out. In fact, I felt tokenized a lot of the time, you know, like from being recognized as one of Canada's most powerful women, I just, I didn't feel like it was authentic or, or real, to be honest with you. Um, and I've very much been uh, very vocal and active about this, this specific narrative in which, you know, women of color, they aren't authentically represented that, you know, they're conveniently represented or performatively represented. And so my entire experience in innovation as well, was that um, as a woman of color, you really don't receive the same mentorship that you're often viewed as a threat, not necessarily an ally. Um, and the only time you're viewed as an ally or accepted as an ally is if you have something to give without expecting anything in return. And for me, that's very problematic for the health of innovation and also the landscape of entrepreneurship that in Canada specifically we're trying to achieve. So for me, it was um, Kid Coders played a massive role in, in creating representation counts, um, especially the networks that I was um, able to get into, um, also the communities that I was able to get into. It really, um, really shine light of how much not just necessarily ignorance, but like not knowing exists. 
And so for me, representation counts as a platform that offers, you know, consulting services to educate authentically people on how to respectfully have that representation of people from a spectrum of human sapia. Um, and so that's why I created Representation Counts um, and Representation Counts also has technological tools and solutions that um, were piggybacked off of the inventions of Kid Coder City. And so for me, it, it has been something that I kind of was working on outside of Kid Coders to stay occupied. Um, while well, I was also at Queens and decided to drop out, but like, um, also it was something that would marry what I learned at Kid Coders and what I will continue to learn to kind of offer a better solution for, for learners out there. No, perfect. That's excellent. And from everything that you've told me so far, like, it's so amazing how kind of, kind of one struggle after the next has led always to like your next best thing. And it's so motivating to see that type of experience. Do you have any advice for women in STEM that are feeling like an outlier in the uh, world of business and in the STEM realm? What advice do you have for them in order to conquer that like you did? Yeah, no, it's a good place to be, I think. I think, you know, the outsider syndrome or like, I think you guys spoke about in another podcast, um, the imposter syndrome or like yes. even feeling like, right? Um, or even just feeling like you're not good enough. I mean, it's a very depressing journey. I'll give you that. Like, I've never always had like a good time, you know, like there have been days mm -hmm. where you question, am I, you know, like they're very bad, depressing days and like you question tomorrow. And like, I would say those are your, your brightest days, really, if you can figure out a way to be resilient around it all and have that self-help and self-care therapist, I strongly recommend that life coach strongly recommend that too, um, within reason of your affordability. Um, but at the same time, I do think that, you know, those down days are actually your best days. Like I did not think I would get past Kid Coder's lawsuit at all. I did not think, you know, I would get past that down trove. I just felt so far past it. And I never thought I would do anything again or create anything again. I, I don't know how I managed to do it, but I did it. I think, you know, support system matters. Um, and I would just say that, like, if there are women who feel that way, you know, like reach out to the Representation Counts platform, a um, little bit of self-promotion there. But like, honestly, like you need to be able to reach out to platforms that encourage and welcome that type of conversation to help you get out of those moments, because in those moments, that's when you truly have something to offer and to create and to invent that would contribute in a meaningful way to society. And we really need that right now from a variety of people. No, that's excellent. And Representation Counts is a, such an amazing platform for people to reach out for, specifically for uh, women in STEM or in any field, in order to reach out and get representation that you know that they will get the right access to all the information that they need and everything will be fair. And it's so important to have that and to promote that because it is much needed in society. Yeah, no, thanks. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> no, perfect. Okay, I enjoyed recording with you. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on. Of course. All right. Take care then, Claudia. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I had so much fun chatting with Shireen and learning about her life story and the difficulties that she encountered as a woman in STEM. Stay tuned for future podcasts on the podcast Instagram, which is at HTBW Podcast. Thank you, everyone.